As you find a seat, I want to ask if you would turn to someone around you and say, Jehovah Rapha. No, really, you can do that. Go ahead. Jehovah Rapha. All right, anybody know what they said? No. All right, Jehovah Rapha. It means the God who heals. The God who heals. Jehovah Rapha. The God who heals our broken hearts. The God who heals the pain of loss. The God who heals our crumbling world. The God who heals our lives when we feel like they've been destroyed. And what's amazing about this God who heals is that he's also so intimately in love with us in our simplicity, and he's still the God who heals our boo-boos. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We're taking the year here at Christ Community to go through the book of Mark, so that same friend that you turned and said Jehovah Rapha to, you can tell them to find Mark 1 with you. Find it on your phone. You can Google it at the very least, Mark 1. And uh, we're going to we're going to kind of journey through several stories. We're going to go on a journey with Jesus. He literally makes his way from Capernaum out to the wilderness and back to Capernaum. And we're going to follow him on that journey for just a little bit this morning. And uh, while you find Mark 1, I want to start with a question that, that may kind of be top of mind, which is, well, does God still heal, still heal people? I didn't think about how hard that was going to be to say. Does God still heal people? The answer is yes, right? The answer is yes. I, uh, I love when God shows up and does amazing things and we can just kind of sit and be in awe of who he is. And we can't put God in a box. We can't figure out how he's going to heal people or, or make him heal people, but we can celebrate it when he does. Sam Montgomery, who plays the bass, um, some of you may know Sam, some of you may be in his community group or whatever, but his dad is um, still in the hospital, but uh, he recently had brain surgery or surgery on his brain, and uh, as he came out of that, there was some major infection that happened, and I remember um, on a Thursday, I cheated and went back and looked at my text on that, but I remember the Thursday, and I got the text, and um, Sam was talking about how bad of shape his dad was in. He, uh, he thought he was at the point of death, and, and Sam and I were talking back and forth, and, and Sam was even beginning to talk about how he was preparing himself mentally for whichever way this was going to go. And uh, he was talking about believing in, in Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, while at the same time knowing that, that God would get the glory no matter what happened. The next day, I sent him a text, and I was like, hey, man, how are you? What's going on? And he was like, Sounds like the same. I'm going to see dad after work, 5 o'clock today. So I'm praying throughout the afternoon. I'm sure others are praying, but I get a text at 6 o'clock from Sam, and it says, dad is healed. Dad is healed. All the things, that, you know, not all the things, but, you know, all the things that they were putting him in critical condition were faded. They were gone. He was stabilized. And he's now preparing for that last surgery that he needed to, to be able to go home. And so we asked the question, well, does God still heal people? And, and the answer overwhelmingly and resoundingly is yes. Yes, he does. And I tell that story and I start there because as we go into these passages in Mark where Jesus Christ is healing people, sometimes it's difficult for us to be amazed by Christ amidst 
the busyness and the craziness of the life that we live. It's easy to, to not be amazed, to, to not be in awe of the God who created us and who gave us life and who loves us and who heals us. So, I want to go on this journey with Jesus where he starts in Capernaum and uh, ends up back in Capernaum. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to go uh, through four different stories here, kind of four accounts of healing. And uh, I think as we do that, we're going to find that one of these things is not like the other one. Um, I got a picture. I I don't know if you remember things like this, right? So, yeah, Jesus heals the sick. Spot eight differences between the two pictures. Uh, So you task-driven people are already trying to count them off before this picture goes off the screen. And you emotional people are remembering the days when you used to do this, right? So um, it's so fun, right? So one of these things is not like the other. And as we go through these four counts of Jesus healing people, I think we're going to see that one of them is not like the other. And when we figure that out, I want to ask some questions about it. And as we get to that, I hope that, that what happens as we go through this word, through the word today, is that we find ourselves with a refreshed and, and restored wonder of who God really is and what he can do in our lives. So, story number one. Mark 1, 21 through 28. It says, and they, they, let's do a real quick recap, right? So Jesus last week, and, and just a, a paragraph back in Mark, called disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he called disciples to follow him. He made them fishers of men. So they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, and he said, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So we have story number one, right? They're in the synagogue together, and this man happens to be there. He has an evil spirit. There's... To our knowledge, no other way to get rid of this than for Jesus to to exercise it out of him. And he does that. He heals the man and everyone is amazed. Story one. Story two. Beginning in verse 29. And immediately, Mark really likes the word immediately. I think if we like fast forward all the immediately, the gospel of Mark probably happened in like 10 minutes. And immediately, he left the synagogue. And he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Remember those dudes that are like disciples now? They're following him. They go to Simon's mother-in-law's house, Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, you may ask, well, why at sundown? It was the Sabbath, remember? It was against their law to technically be healing people. So Jesus is like, he's a crazy outsider. So everybody comes at sundown and they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Just put yourself in Simon's mother-in-law's shoes for just a minute. You got a fever in the morning. 
Jesus heals you and you make dinner for all these guys and then the whole city is standing at your door. Sounds like a great day, doesn't it? But Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I love it. So Jesus ends up at a house after church eating lunch. That's a novel idea. You should go eat lunch with somebody from church. And this woman's there who's sick. He heals her, and everyone is so amazed that the whole city comes to the door. Story number three, beginning in verse 35. Rising very early in the morning, okay? So he's had a big day. He's had the whole city come to the house. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. So he leaves Capernaum. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. read the fourth story and then we'll come back to the third that's a hint moving to chapter two when jesus returned to capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room not even at the door many suspect that it was the same home that they were gathered in before right they're all back in there and he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, there it is again, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Another story of Jesus healing someone and everyone leaving in amazement. But I think about that story of the leper. Something just seems a little bit different, a little bit off. Here we have a leper who who is coming and he's begging Jesus to do something. All these others, they're they're kind of just in the path of Jesus, but the leper seeks him out. He's, He's begging him, literally begging him, and and he's expecting him to heal him. And then when Jesus heals him, he says, I have pity on him. 
I have pity on him. And then when he tells him what to do, he disobeys. What's going on with that story? He's the only one who doesn't obey Jesus. He's the only one who seems almost ungrateful for this miraculous thing that Jesus has done. He's the only one whose heart doesn't seem to change after experiencing Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He's also the only one who seeks Jesus out, right, to be healed by him. We look back at that verse, Mark 1.40. It says a leper came to him, imploring him. The, the sense is like he literally is desperate. He, he's coming on his knees, kneeling. If you will, you can make me clean. In his mind, he was a victim of his circumstances, right? He was desperate. He was begging, pleading for Jesus to heal him, potentially whining a little bit, right? Jesus, please just heal me. In his mind, his life was terrible, and he wanted Jesus to know it. And who am I to judge? I've never been a leper, but I've heard it would have been awful. He had heard about all of these healings that Jesus had been doing, no doubt, right? He was in Galilee. And so he, he becomes a victim. And he has an expectation that Jesus would heal him. Scripture says that Jesus had pity on him. He heals him and he gives him these specific instructions that he chooses not to obey. It just doesn't add up. After all, he got what he came looking for, healing. That was all he really wanted. But while he was looking for the miracle, he missed the maker. When we, uh, when we drive to Lexington from Shelbyville, one of the routes takes us uh, on 8.7 miles of beautiful land between Frankfurt and Versailles. Anybody know the road I'm talking about? You start, if, if you love that road like I do, you start to get visions of it. You know, there's a beautiful green down the middle, and you've got horse farms on either side. I mean, it, it seriously might be the most beautiful stretch of road in the entire state of Kentucky. Rolling hills, horse barns with chandeliers. I mean, come on. It's, it's insane. Fountains and ponds, stone walls. It's amazing. Uh, it's even more amazing when you drive that stretch of road in the fall. And leaves are changing color. I mean, it's, it is just an incredible spectacle of God's creation. So when we first were married, Caitlin and I, we lived in Lexington and we would come to see her family quite often here in Shelbyville, and we've driven that stretch of road hundreds of times, hundreds of times. So two weeks ago, our family was headed to Lexington for a wedding, and we were driving that stretch of road, and Caitlin was looking out her window. The kids were actually, I think, we like finally gotten them calmed down and quiet Like by the time we got to Frankfurt, so we were looking forward to like 20 minutes of peace in the car. And we're driving down that stretch of road, and she's looking out the window, and she says, I have never seen that horse track before. It's like, what are you talking about? And sure enough, over on the right, as we were heading to Lexington, there was a simple little white fence marking the course for a track. Um, and it was, it was a strange thing, right, to, to see something new on a stretch of road that we had driven down hundreds of times. And it was really neat because after we saw that, it was like we were more open, more observant of all the things that we might see on this stretch of road. We began to notice different trees and different farms and, and just the way the different barns were built. And it was really cool to just drive through there and, and be in awe of the beauty of it all. Perhaps that same thing that happened to us, where we'd driven that stretch of road so many times that we begin to not notice the beauty of it, is how we find ourselves like the leper. 
We become a victim of our circumstances. We begin to feel sorry for ourselves. We begin to feel entitled to things because we've stopped noticing the beauty of the Creator. They've become all too common. Sure, we hear the stories of what Jesus can do. We come to church and we hear the good news preached to us. We hear that it is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. We even make it a priority to be gathered with Christians and to be in his word. But as time goes on, our journey with Jesus becomes all too familiar and we begin to just miss the wonder of Jesus himself. We stop noticing the power of Jesus working in our lives on a daily basis. He just doesn't seem to captivate us like he used to. Jesus becomes more like the label we wear when it seems appropriate and the, and the person that we leave behind when it's convenient. And when we lose the wonder of following Christ, our anticipation of what he could do in our lives slowly fades. When we once were amazed at all that Jesus had done in our lives, we now begin to expect him to do certain things. The leper had heard of all these healings that were going on, and, and he had an expectation that, that Jesus would heal him too. And when we begin to expect and, and, and Jesus to work in certain ways or, or to do certain things, slowly but surely, we stop expecting him to do anything at all because we feel like he's not listening. But that's not the truth. The truth is that God will never fail to do amazing things. We might just fail to see them. God will never fail to do amazing things. We might just fail to see them. You see, uh, what we see after this moment with the leper is Jesus returns to Capernaum. And in a moment when some of the crowds were expecting to be healed, Jesus absolutely blows their minds. Right? We tie these four stories together. Jesus begins in Capernaum. His ministry is, of healing is... is it's amazing. It's awe-inspiring. People flock to it, and he has to go out to the countryside. He meets this leper who expects him to heal him, and he returns to Capernaum. People are ready for more healing. So ready that they pack the house again, and Jesus begins to preach to them. And, he's, and as he's preaching, right, these four dudes cut through the roof, drop down their paralytic friend, and they anticipate that Jesus is going to do something good, something worth seeing. But Jesus doesn't just do something good. Jesus does something crazy. He forgives his sins. You see, up to this point, Jesus was just this really interesting character and possibly the Messiah. John had talked about him. People followed him. But they weren't really sure that this was the Son of God. But now he was claiming to forgive sins. And when he says, son, your sins are forgiven, no one knows what to say. You could have heard a pin drop in that room, I have no doubt. Some are questioning in their hearts. And, and so Jesus, you know, he, he knows us and he asks a simple question. And it's rhetorical. Is it easier to say, I forgive your sins or get up and walk? You can feel the tension in the room, right? All of a sudden, these people are put to the test. It was really cool when Jesus was just healing people, and that was awesome, and it was a spectacle. But now I have to consider what it is that I believe about this guy who's actually doing the miracles. And so Jesus answers his own question by looking at the man, and he says, pick up your mat and go. And the former paralytic, he does it. 
Can you imagine being in that room on that day, the entire city of Capernaum standing in this house trying to flock in and, and make their way in there, and all of a sudden this guy who's been a paralytic walks through the crowd of people out the door with his mat under his arm. I get cold chills like just trying to tell the story back. I can't imagine seeing that happen. And all the wonder that might have been lost, all the hope that might have been lost as they were waiting for Jesus is restored. Who was this guy? Where was he getting his power and his authority? Lucky for us, we know a little bit more about Jesus than they knew in that house in Capernaum on that day. This was Jesus, the Son of God, who would go on to live a sinless life in order that he might become the perfect sacrifice to forgive my sins, your sins, and humanity's sins for all of time. His power is limitless. It's limitless. All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to him. And Jesus uses that authority each and every day in our lives to work miracles in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus never fails to amaze us. God will never fail to do amazing things. We might just fail to see them. You know, Jesus knew that this would be true about humanity. He ends up, uh, as he's going through his ministry, he uses these things called parables, which are essentially stories that he used to teach. And when his disciples ask him about why he uses parables, he says this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 and following. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Can anyone relate? For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. You see, we must be careful that our hearts aren't becoming dull, that our eyes are not missing it, that our ears are not hearing. We have to be aware of how God is trying to amaze us in the multiple little things of our lives. I've enjoyed uh, some conversation I'm having with friends, and um, I learned of a book written by a guy named Francis Collins. He's a doctor, and um, he's a leader, uh, was the leader of the Human Genome Project. Dr. Francis Collins was an atheist, and uh, as he worked on the Human Genome Project, which is where they, they like basically tried to figure out the entire code of human DNA, and I'm not a doctor, so if I'm not saying this correctly, don't judge me or hate me. Have grace. But while he was in the middle of that, uh, the Lord changed him. In an interview, he said, he said this, at one point, one of my patients challenged me and he asked me what I believe. And I realized as I stammered out something about, I don't believe any of this, that it all sounded rather thin in the face of this person's clearly very strong, dedicated belief in God. A patient who was losing their life challenged him and he realized that saying, I don't really believe any of this just wasn't enough. So that forced me to recognize that I had done something that a scientist is not supposed to do. I'd drawn a conclusion without looking at the data. I had decided to be an atheist without really understanding what the arguments were for and against the existence of God. 
He would go on to say, everything I do as a scientist reinforces my sense of God's presence because every new discovery is, if you believe in his role as a creator, a glimpse into his mind. And I find that very meaningful and satisfying to be able to have the experience of discovery by both the natural world unveiling itself and also getting a glimpse into what God's plan was. And then he says, for example, sequencing the human genome project. What an incredibly breathtaking experience to unveil over the course of just a few short years the complete instruction book for human biology, the three billion letters of the code. That's something which will only be done once in human history, he says, which has incredible power to reveal information about exactly how human biology works, and which for me as a believer is the culmination of God's creative plan to put creatures on this planet. He says to have that laid out in front of you for the first time is breathtaking to any scientist, but particularly if you see it as that significant language of God. You know, you and I may never lead the Human Genome Project. In fact, we won't. It's done. (laughs) But we can become lost in the wonder of simply loving. Because you see, there is a great wonder in love. Love doesn't make any sense. We don't deserve it. It's always putting the other before itself. It's willing to be last and even to die. Love is a great marvel. We should only ever be amazed by God who is love. We should never be moving on in life unchanged as though we figured God out because every time we are loved well or we get caught loving others, the wonder of God is on display. Love is a miracle. We think about these four stories here at the beginning of Mark and we get so caught up with those that Jesus is healing that we forget about these new fishers of men who are following him. All along the way, these disciples... Simon, Andrew, James, and John, grizzled fishermen, savvy businessmen, are simply watching Jesus work. They're just being, existing, enjoying the presence of Christ. They're joining in the amazement of everyone else. Being amazed as Jesus does amazing things time and time again. The scripture doesn't give us any sense that after the first couple of times they quit being impressed with what Jesus was doing. How did they not lose the wonder? How did they continue to be amazed by the God who heals? And then the question for us, how can we continue to be amazed by who God is and what he's doing in our midst? We, like those fishers of men, must be willing to take time to gaze at God's greatness, to simply watch and see and take notice of what he's doing. Paul David Tripp talks about beginning your day gazing on Christ. He says, start your day by letting God amaze you. A sunrise, the snow this week, a truth from your devotional, devotional, the beauty of creation in your sleeping child, the stillness of the world before the bustle of the day, catching a small light in the picture of darkness that reminds you in a season of darkness in your life that the light will chase away the darkness eventually. Simply realizing that a sin you committed yesterday has already been forgiven. Let God amaze you. Let God amaze you. Philip read some of Psalm 145. I want to read that plus a couple of extra verses. And I would challenge you to 
to let Psalm 145 be a guide for you if you think you're going to struggle to be amazed by God. Come back to this and, and just exalt the name of God. Like, be amazed by who God is and, and why he loves you. Psalm 145 says, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. One translation that says he is unsearchable. To think about something being unsearchable in the age of Google is pretty crazy. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. To slow down and meditate on all the good things and amazing things that God is doing. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. There's lots of ways to do this. I want to just give you one simple one. Write down one thing a day that blows your mind about God or one thing about God that you can't figure out and then share that. Don't be afraid of the things that you don't know about God. Press into them and be amazed by them. When you do, you'll find that the God who heals will show up and continue to amaze you. For many of us, we're driven people. Give us a task list. Give us something to do. So why would we want to take the time to enjoy God? It's tempting, like the leper, to seek Jesus out just for the rewards of our salvation. When we begin to think about our relationship with Christ, we simply ask, what do I need to do and what do I get out of it? And our mind quickly goes to, I'm forgiven of my sins and I get to live in heaven and I get to avoid hell. But God wants to amaze in so many more ways than that. Creation is, is groaning and pointing us to the glory of the creator everywhere we turn. And God just wants us to revel and be amazed by who he is. It's part of following him. It's part of being his disciple. It's part of being able to press on in the middle of dark and hard seasons, being amazed by him. You see, we don't just get the rewards of salvation. We get the joy of salvation. We get the freedom from busyness. We get guilt-free no's when we enjoy Christ. We get to enjoy relationships instead of feeling like we have to maintain them. We get contentment instead of comparison. We get wonder instead of whining. And we get to enjoy life knowing the one who gives us life. God never fails to amaze us. We just can't miss the moments he's using. The band's going to come back up. And in just a few moments, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. When we do that, we remember the moment that seemed a failure and yet forged our forgiveness. You know, what amazed the people that day when the paralytic was let down through the roof 
It wasn't necessarily that he was healed. They'd seen Jesus do that before. What amazed them was that he forgave sins. And may we never run too far in front of Christ to not be amazed by the fact that he forgives us. On that day, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was coming to save the day, who had worked miracles, who had drawn crowds, on the day of his death, he was alone, nailed to a cross, beaten, bloodied, and dying. It didn't just seem like a failure. It appeared to be an epic failure. One by one, these same disciples, these same fishers of men who were in awe and amazement faded away as they failed to see how Jesus could pull this one off. They began to question in their minds, is it really a God who never fails? And then he gave up his last breath, dying. He was pierced in the side with a sword just to make sure And then the questions really came. We didn't really think he would fail, but it seems as though he has. Another day buried in a tomb. And in their minds, failure was confirmed. And with another day, the darkness, the hiding, the shame, the fear of being without Christ. But on day three, on day three, Jesus was gone. He was found to be alive, and death had been defeated. What appeared to be the greatest failure of all time was forging our forgiveness. And that's amazing. We must stand in awe of that. God never fails. Before Jesus went to that cross, he shared this same meal that we are about to share with each other. And he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim his death. When we take communion, we remind everyone of his death. A seemed failure that forged our forgiveness. But as we take it, we stand in awe of his life. We stand in awe of the resurrection. And we find our hope in him. It's amazing. Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus to give you that kind of hope, if you've never trusted in Jesus to give you life, we want to invite you to find your life in him, to trust him, to trust him. This is the guy who defeated death and he wants to give you life. Myself and others will be in the back. We would love to pray with you. We would love to just stand in that gap with you. And for those of us who are baptized believers in Christ, we come forward, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice and we proclaim his death while celebrating his life. Let's respond together today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, do it again. 
amaze us. Amaze us. It doesn't have to be a show in lights. It simply has to be a reminder of how you love us, how you heal us, how you heal the broken things in our lives and in our world. May you speak to our hearts today through your spirit. Give us strength. Give us healing. We pray in Jesus' name.